0: 2,751 New Yorkers were killed in the World Trade Center attack on September 11th, 2001. A young doctor named Sneha Phillip was believed to be among them, except she had no reason to be in the World Trade Center. She had a history of lying about her whereabouts, and her husband believes she faked her death to flee mounting personal and professional problems, which makes Tom Murphy wonder... Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello, and welcome to Why It's Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vago, author and regular contributor to The A.V. Club. And before I get to the guest, just a quick plug, I was a guest on another podcast, a special presentation or ALF will not be seen tonight, talking about bizarre 70s and 80s cartoons based on sitcoms of the day. That episode dropped a couple days ago, so check that out. Both of the hosts of that show have been guests on this show. It's all a the podcast world. But this week on this show, I'm joined by Tom Murphy, a comedy writer and performer who you've probably seen on TV without realizing it. He's had a side gig for 11 years as a background player on Saturday Night Live. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Tell us about Sneha Philip and her mysterious disappearance.
1: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, let me tell you about uh, Ms. Sneha Philip. She was a 31-year-old doctor who was living in the Battery Park neighborhood of New York City with her husband, uh, Ron Lieberman, in like the early part of the beginning of the 21st century. Sneha has not been seen since the early evening of September 10th, 2001. Of course, we all know the infamous events that happened the very next day, and Battery Park being so close to the World Trade Center, there's a lot of reason to believe that Sneha was one of the nearly 2,800 people who lost their lives that day. However, uh, further investigations by a PI hired by her husband and the NYPD suggest a much more complicated story. Sneha was last seen alive at 5.30 p.m. at the downtown Century 21 clothing store on September 10th, 2001. That is also the last transaction on her credit card where she bought a dress, pantyhose, and some bedding. A cashier at Century 21 claims a woman was with her, but there's no video evidence to suggest this. There's no trace of her ever returning to home. However, her husband said that this wasn't unusual for her. For some time before her disappearance, Sneha had been known to frequent lesbian bars in the city, often not coming home until the next morning. Ron Lieberman, her husband, has dismissed the notion that infidelities have occurred on these instances. Sneha may have preferred these bars because of an instance that occurred at an after-work party at a bar where she accused a male coworker of bringing on unwanted advances. This accusation may have been a reason why she was terminated from this job despite the hospital citing her excessive tardiness and her drinking problems as the reason. There's been much talk that Sneha's last known whereabouts were recorded on the morning of September 11th. Her apartment lobby security footage show the silhouette of a woman standing near the elevator for nearly a minute before exiting the lobby at around 8.40 a.m., which is six minutes before the first plane hit the North Tower. There are many theories about what happened to Snea Phillips. Whether she died helping the wounded at the towers, or if she disappeared the night before never to be heard from again, one of the most popular theories is that Sneha may have used the attack as an excuse to disappear and start a new life. Regardless of the many questions, more than six years after her disappearance, a court of appeals declared Sneha Philip as the 2,751st victim of the World Trade Center attack. Well, that may have been her fate, the disappearance of Snail Philip remains one of the most fascinating mysteries of all time, in my opinion.
0: So let's work backwards through a few things in the story, because it's so, it's interesting just how many inconsistencies and in different versions of events and different interpretations there are. And let's start with the fact that the Court of Appeals ruled her a victim of the 9-11 attacks. It's a Court of Appeals because a lower court had ruled her a missing person, because they didn't think there was any evidence that she had died in the World Trade Center, and there in fact isn't. But- It's hard to find evidence, you know, either way, there are a lot of people whose bodies weren't recovered. And it's very hard, you know, as with a lot of missing persons cases, it's hard to prove that somebody isn't somewhere.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's very hard. Um, Yeah, there hasn't been any evidence. And a lot of the, you know, never to generalize, but many of the missing from that day were above the floors that were hit. I think that Sneha would have been, you know, on the street helping around
0: Right, that she could have run to the World Trade Center. She was a doctor. Like that much makes sense. But one of the things, you know, New Yorkers lined up down the block to give blood on that day. Most of the blood just went to area hospitals because part of the tragedy of that day was that there weren't that many critically injured people. You either walked away from the tower or you didn't. So the people who, who died were either largely on those top floors where the planes hit or above where the planes hit or were firefighters who were in the building trying to get people out when the buildings came down. So it's possible she went into the building for some reason to help somebody to do something and was there when it came (laughs) down. But it seems unlikely, and I think it's not the kind of thing you would question if there weren't so many other questions about this woman.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. The circumstances definitely make this uh, much more than meets the eye there.
0: So to go back to the video surveillance footage from the, the morning of, just to clarify the timeline, she had been out late the night before. She didn't come home, according to her husband. And so he had only seen her the day before. And the last, the Century 21, which for non-New Yorkers, that's a clothing department store. There's also a realtor with the same name. They're two different companies. But there was a Century 21 directly across the World Trade Center. And it was damaged in the you know, when the towers collapsed. And I think it has since closed. But that's likely the department store she was in. She lived in that neighborhood. But she was definitely in Century 21. Her credit card was there. She's on surveillance footage. Then she didn't come home that night. She may have come back early in the morning but her face isn't on the surveillance camera from her building. It's a woman who kind of meets her description, who doesn't have shopping bags, who may or may not be her, mm-hmm. and never actually went home. She stood in the lobby for a while. Oh, exactly, yeah. There's no trace of her ever going home. But you said that that was eight minutes before the towers were hit. It's possible. It's, uh, yeah, they, it said, it's six. They said 840,
1: the, is the, 840 is the time stamp. There is, I mean, there's always the possibility that that's
0: inaccurate. And it's possible that she was waiting for the elevator or waiting for him to meet somebody or something and then heard the plane hit or heard a commotion or something and ran out to see what it was and then went to the Trade Center site. But as you say, she'd had a history of not coming home and not explaining her whereabouts. One oh, yeah. of the detail, One of the details that really struck me was, and again, this is something that could be interpreted a couple of different ways sort of making her look favorable or unfavorable, was that she frequently went out to lesbian bars and often went home with other women and her husband insisted that there wasn't anything untowards going on, even though like <laughs> one of the details that stuck with me from just the Wikipedia article on this was that like, she went home with an artist and came home covered in paint. As Her a husband, husband was definitely was race, convinced there too. was no fooling around going on, but even there, it's hard to tell was, was it all perfectly innocent? Was he just really naive or was she stepping out on him, but he didn't want to speak ill of the dead or he didn't want to air out his marital problems in, you know, a murder investigation. Like any one of those could be true. They're all equally plausible as I- was. Her her motivation for going out to lesbian bars leads us to another sort of we don't know what happened because she was a young doctor. She'd been let go from as an intern at a local hospital. And the hospital's version of events was that she was showing up to work drunk. She was coming in late. She was unreliable. Mm-hmm. But her version of events was that she was sexually harassed on the job and the hospital sort of had a cover story. And so the sort of innocent explanation was she was going to lesbian bars because she'd had some shitty experience with men and didn't want to be part of that bar scene and it was a place where she felt safe, but that didn't really explain her going home with women repeatedly and not telling her husband where she was and all that stuff. There's and coming home at seven in the morning,
1: you know, eight in the morning. That's you know and on a Tuesday, you know? Right, right. It's uh Yeah, it's a lot of but I do understand the whole uh you know wanting to save a loved one's image.
0: Yeah. And also the ambiguity like plenty of people, you know, have unhappy marriages and don't fake their own deaths. Like they're, yeah, it's, it's very extreme, yes. But she also, she had some legal charges against her. I, hmm. Okay, so it's vague. It says she went out to a bar with other Cabrini employees. The outing led to her spending a night in jail, but it doesn't say why. She complained to police that a fellow intern groped her during that time. So I think during that night out with her coworkers. The prosecutor mm-hmm. investigated the case, dropped sexual abuse charges, and instead charged her with a third degree false reporting an incident, which is a misdemeanor. He to dropped the charges if she recanted the original complaint, but she refused. And again, so this could be like the NYPD treating woman like garbage is entirely believable. Oh, yes.
1: Yes. It's, uh, there's definitely a history throughout the, uh, you know,
0: well, throughout all time
1: of not believing women. And but just, then, there's, uh, but
0: then there's also a pattern of this particular woman not being very trustworthy. Oh, no, and for sure. She definitely I think she
1: definitely had some, you know, skeletons in her closet. Many of us do. Like there's just so much, you know, just doesn't make sense about all of this.
0: But another one of the ambiguities here is that the NYPD investigated at the request of Lieberman, the husband, and in his opinion, kind of did a sloppy job. And again, like there's kind of two sides to every single detail in the story. On one hand, you want them to do their job and investigate what happened and there's reason to suspect something went on here. At the same time, it was the week after 9 and they had other things going on. Oh, yeah. If there's even an interpretation that allows you to look at the NYPD in a sympathetic light and that maybe this just wasn't <laughs> at the top of their priority list but Lieberman hired a private detective and they did their own investigation and it seemed like he was trying to to prove that she was killed in the World Trade Center it definitely appeared that way yes you know to squash rumors that she had faked her death to get away from him and was running running out and i think he wanted closure one way or the other but he seemed to believe or he and his investigator believed that she did end up in the, in the towers for some reason at some point and died there and then at some point, the NYPD reinvestigated and they found details that suggested that she wasn't there or maybe she was even already dead for some reason. So the police came to different conclusions. The investigator came to a couple of different conclusions from them. Mm-hmm. You know, the court kind of put this to bed, but I think at this point it was 2004 and no one's seen this woman in three years. They had to assume yeah. she was dead somewhere. But, oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, but if she did fake her death to start a new identity somehow, you know, maybe she's still out there and somewhere. Well, and one thing is, There was
1: a choker that she wore that just like it hadn't left her neck in years. And I think they were always hoping to find that. And that probably would have been the trace of her during the uh, 9 11 recovery effort. Oh, of course. Yeah. And they never found that. They were always hoping that that would be the key to, uh, you know, what her fate was.
0: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that was never, that was just never discovered.
0: Uh, But again, there were so many things that weren't recovered from the rubble. There there were people who died in the in the collapse of the towers that they never found any trace of, but they know were in those buildings and died. So again, there's just ambiguity to every part of this. There's maybe that was just just, you know, destroyed beyond all recognition when the towers collapsed, or maybe she's still wearing it somewhere to this day. I know.
1: And almost everything in this seems to be kind of
0: circumstantial. But
1: there was always one thing that, that just never made sense. Is that the last in New York City? like the last transaction on her credit card that seems to be like one of the only possessions she had when she left her apartment was her credit card. And that was at 530. So it wouldn't make sense if she, what would she have done in New York City of all places without her credit card, unless she was carrying some serious cash, which I know even in 2001, not a lot of people did.
0: And you couldn't take a bunch of money out of the bank without leaving a bank record. That is very true, yes. And her... Other credit cards, her passport, you know, were all still at home. She had an American Express card with her, and that was it. So if she were planning on faking her death, she was not planning very thoroughly. Oh, yeah. at, the, at the same time, this whole thing is kind of hinged on. She used the confusion of 9-11 to fake her death. So if she did do that, it was probably would have been a pretty spur of the moment. You can't think like, well, things are going badly for me, but if there's a terrorist attack, I'm ready. I mean, that would definitely
1: be the, just like the ultimate in fate,
0: I I think think the problem is it's not terribly plausible that she faked her death, but it's also not that plausible that she didn't. Exactly.
1: Yeah. There's just so many. I mean, there's just so many questions. And I think why it's gotten a lot of press is the fact that one of the most abundant theories is that she used the attack to make a clean slate. And I'm not necessarily sure if I believe that. If I had to give my opinion on this, I have a feeling something happened to her the night before. And it was just a crazy coincidence that it happened to be the day before the most infamous attack in American history.
0: Yeah, that's also entirely possible. Although that still begs further questions of, like, if she was murdered separately the night before, why was her body never found? Very true. Because it's 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 perfectly believable that the woman who was in the lobby of her apartment building the next morning was just somebody else who was the same height or, you know. it very well could have been.
1: I know the husband and the family of Sneha have all said, is like, that looks very much like her, but you know the, i i saw i saw a still photo of it and it's impossible it's almost just absolutely impossible to
0: yeah because like a, a lobby security camera from 20 years ago is not going to be very high def you're going to get you know the approximate shape of a person
1: oh uh, yeah and i think the sunlight was facing directly into the lobby so it is just it's just a complete mess okay, so for fair. anybody to say that this was a certain person it's it's not saying it wasn't but it's definitely not saying
0: that it was so the, the thing I keep thinking about is, in the story, we don't really know what's true. And the most, like the central figure in all this is either dead or missing. How do you tell this story as a movie?
1: I have thought of that. I wonder if you do it through the husband's perspective, even though maybe with the husband and, you know, the private investigator you know, that may have, you know, shed light that there's a good chance she probably did not die in the attack.
0: Yeah, even though I don't, I'm not, I come away from this feeling like the husband's maybe not 100% trustworthy, whether through his like naivete or trying to sort of push a certain version of events. However, I do think he's the obvious audience surrogate because we're trying to uncover this mystery. He's trying to uncover this mystery for more personal reasons. But yes, but I, yeah, and I think you have to start it with him. Maybe you start with he hires the investigator and then everything else happens in flashback as they try to piece together.
1: That is exactly what I was thinking, where it goes with a flashback. And from what I understand, if this movie were to be made, Ron Lieberman would not be very helpful with the making of this. He's definitely on board with the fact that she died in that attack.
0: And Yeah, and I, th- and I think, you know, this is all a hypothetical movie, but if you were doing this for real, I think you'd have to heavily fictionalize.
1: You'd have to fictionalize a lot because there's so much unknown.
0: And I almost feel like if you were going to fictionalize this, maybe tell the story of a troubled young woman who used the 9-11 attacks as an excuse to fake her death, because that's just a fascinating idea, whether that's what happened or not. Oh, absolutely. And a cleaner story to tell than you know, we did all this investigation and we have no idea what's going on. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I think, I think the story, if you can focus on
1: Sneha, you know, in flashbacks, or so I just think it's a great character study. I mean, here you have this obviously brilliant woman who seems to almost have everything going for her, You know, she graduated from the Chicago School of Medicine, and yet her personal life kind of seems to be kind of in disarray, which, you know, it always reminds me of the whole uh, saying, my mom says it a lot, where you never, you never judge the inside of your home by the outside of someone else's. You know, when you would look at this woman, also very beautiful, very smart, educated to have her fate end up being where people suspect if she made herself disappear.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's almost a cliche in true crime stories that they sort of start with, they had the perfect life, but it <laughs> below the surface. And so you could kind of do that. She's a young doctor in New York City. and But I almost feel like you want to start with, their life was already a mess, and then this happened. And are those two things connected? Or is it just multiple bad things happening to regular people?
1: That definitely makes sense. And when you know, as I've said, this has been a story that has fascinated me ever since I heard about it. And I only heard about it maybe a year and a half ago. And I was kind of thinking, like, this the story is so complicated. I think it could make a very fascinating movie. But how would you go about it? It does go back and forth so, so many times. And that seems to be, you know, a very common linear structure in movies now.
0: Well, this, you have the potential to be sort of a Rashomon kind of movie where there are all these versions of events and you don't know which one is the real one.
1: Good, good reference. Oh, yes. Because there are three, you know, there are more than three possible outcomes of this. And no, it's a very good reference. I haven't seen that film in a yeah, while.
0: Yeah, and I, and, I, and the problem is, I don't know how you end the movie. If you're fictionalizing, you can pick whatever ending you want. But if you're trying to do this true to life, you kind of have to leave it with the unsatisfying, well, the court ruled her dead on this day and that's oh, the official yeah. story, but we still don't really know the real story.
1: Yeah, it would be something where that was what the courts decided, and perhaps you end it with the family somehow finding some peace, because this is what her family wanted as well. You know, they Yeah, wanted-
0: I, guess, I guess that's the thing. It's unsatisfying to us as people who are interested in the story, but to the people who actually lived in the story, it probably was a satisfying ending to have that, at, at least <laughs> in an official capacity, have that ambiguity resolved yeah. and say, no, this is where she died. This is what happened. You def- You definitely
1: want to think of her dying, helping people. That is how most of us would like to go, you know? Maybe it would give peace to all of us if we just accept that answer. However, my mind is telling me that that is not what happened.
0: And that does make a very satisfying story too. That this young woman had personal and professional problems, but in the moment when it counted mm-hmm. and people were depending on her, then she like gave her life to help others, ran into the disaster instead of away from it. And
1: I mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't make a movie like that. That you know, that happy and ending. Yeah you know, I, would go, I would go for the more dark. Well, effects. she still dies, not that happy. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I, def- I definitely go for the dark, and that's, that's maybe why I lean towards, you know, the outcome of that something happened to her the night before or that she did make herself disappear. There is just something that I just, it just doesn't sit, you know, 100% well with me that she did die during the attack.
0: So do you have any ideas for who should direct this?
1: You know, with the whole linear thing, you had asked me this before the show. First name that came to mind for me was David Fincher.
0: It's, and, it's funny. In, um, in thinking about actors, and think, I kept coming back to Zodiac, because, which is, I think, Fincher's unheralded masterpiece. That, that
1: it is, It's probably my favorite by him.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it, got, you know, it, it didn't get a Best Picture nomination. You know, I thought it should have gotten Oscars for that and for him and for a couple of the actors in it. And it seems to be sort of forgotten among his films. It wasn't a big hit, but it's terrific. And it deals with the same issues of people trying to uncover these sort of unknowable truths about about what happened in some tragic situation. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. So we we're kind of on the same page with that. It was, I couldn't even really explain it. It just seemed, you know, I kind of felt like he could deal with the whole linear aspect of this.
0: And yeah, that, that was something was I, I wrestled with because... I was trying to think of directors that, you know, dealt with like fractured timelines and that sort of thing. And I kept coming up with sort of comedy people or sci-fi people and mm-hmm. not really a good, you, like, you, you want this to be a, a sort of down to earth serious drama because these are real people. And this is, Oh, for sure. Yes. You know, a, a real tragedy within living memory that you don't want to get too fanciful with, or, you know, you don't want to hand this to like Michel Gondry and oh, make yeah. it, make it a surrealist, you know, head trip. You want it, you want it yeah. to be yes. people really grappling with and grieving over all these things we don't know about this story.
1: And also and also dealing with such a sensitive tragedy like 9-11. And you have to treat that almost almost not so much a backdrop, but as a part of the story.
0: Well, I had a couple other names for director, but no, I don't think anybody as good as Fincher. But like Lynn Ramsey, who did We Need to Talk About Kevin and You Were Never Really Here.
1: Oh, I've only seen uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's not- dealing with the aftermath of a tragedy and sort of the impossibility of knowing someone's troubles and you know, how they'll act and trying to come to terms with that. And you were never really here. It's just a more recent film that she's done, but it's a very gritty New York crime story. And I also feel like this needs to be a very New York-y story in terms of the cast and in terms of the the setting needs to be a big part of it because, like, you want somebody who needs to understand the New York geography that, like, you know, she was in that neighborhood and close and that Century 21 was across the street. And you don't want these to feel like abstract places. You want it to feel like a real lived-in neighborhood. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, the only yeah. other person I came up with was uh, Jeremy Saulnier, who did Green Room and Hold the Dark, and a few episodes of True Detective. And it was mostly, oh, that I like oh, Green Room a lot, he's somebody that i like to see do more movies. Oh, before. I thought I, Green Room was one of those hidden masterpieces. I yeah, expect. yeah. And also, like, not the same kind of story as this by any means, but very claustrophobic and intense. And then True Detective is kind of the same, like, trying to, you know, solve this unknowable mystery and, and becoming an obsession for people. Oh, definitely, Yeah. So let's talk about the cast. And I, My problem was I wanted a bunch of really New Yorkie actors. And all the New Yorkie actors that I know are like 40 years too old for this. Like, oh, Brian Denny, he was still alive. <laughs> at, you know, half, half of the age he was when he died. Or oh, like, exactly. Yeah. You know, Steve Buscemi from 40 years ago. Because I was even like, oh, who, who on The Sopranos was good? And I realized, like, Christopher was like the young guy Michael Michael is in his 50s. That show was on 20 years ago. And so.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I oh, was yeah. trying to think of young people. But actually, let's, let's start with Snaf Philip herself.
1: Snaf Philip i just seen a movie over Christmas break with Ben Affleck called The Way Back. It was good. And there was an actress who played his ex-wife who was fantastic in it. I've only seen her in The League, which was a very slapsticky comedy. Then she was able to completely pull a 180 and pull off this very dramatic role in this movie. And her name is Janina Gavankar. Because you always want to be very true to the, you know you know, person's background. Sneha Philip was born in India, moved over here when she was a child. So she was, you know, very, very Americanized. You know, I haven't I haven't given much thought yet to the husband, but, you know, you mentioned like very New Yorky actors. I believe the husband may have been from Chicago and then moved to New York with her.
0: Yeah, the husband was tough for me too because we don't really know a lot about him. And basically, every, other than Philip herself... There's nobody in the story that we have a very clear picture or like literally and figuratively. There's no photos of these people online. There's no, she's such a fascinating character in the story that everybody else is just kind of very stock, like, you know, detective investigating, husband wondering what happened. But it's also kind of a complicated role because you want somebody who is grieving, who is frustrated with the police and, you know, the story sort of not being told the way he wants it to be told.
1: I love Mark Ruffalo, so I always go for him. but. This was a 30-year-old guy at the time. Mark Ruffalo, again, is, I think, in his mid-50s.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We, we both went to uh, Zodiac because I was thinking maybe Jake Gyllenhaal.
1: Ah, okay. You know, because he
0: can do yeah. Haunted and...
1: And Jake Gyllenhaal could
0: pass for 30. That's
1: also never stopped Hollywood. Well, uh, exactly. An actor's and, age. An actor's age has never stopped Hollywood from casting.
0: And also, the age well, of these people isn't that. Like, it's a little... Like, Philip was, I think, 30 or 31 when she died. And she was still an intern in her medical career. So Mm -hmm. she has to be young enough for that. Actually, the actress that I landed on for her, uh, who I think you dismissed before the show was a little too on the nose, but uh, (laughs) Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Ah, yes. Who is a good physical match. She looks a little like Philip, but she's also somebody who can do this complicated, dramatic role, I think. American audiences hadn't seen her in a lot of things besides Quantico but she had a long film career in India before she started doing American stuff. Oh, she's
1: and she went she played, she's like a, she's a superstar in India.
0: Yeah, and she went from being seen as just a pretty face and then she had a string of roles where like oh this wasn't very good but she was good in it. Mm-hmm. And then she had a big hit with a movie called Fashion which was like a rare movie in India without a male lead and so it was seen as a big breakthrough for her and for like women in film in India. And since then, she's gotten very interesting roles and gotten a lot of acclaim and won a lot of Best Actress awards. And mm-hmm. so she has a lot of dramatic chops. You know, She was leading Quantico and she's done a little bit of TV work here. But I don't know that American audiences, I think they kind of know her as a celebrity because she married one of the Jonas Brothers. I don't know that people really realize the depth she has as an actress, but I think, I think she has the chops to play this fascinating character who has all these different sides to her. But also a lot of the other South Asian actors that I like and want to see more work in are all in comedy. So yes, I don't know... Okay. You know, Very I'd love convenient. to see more work for like Jamila Jamil or Aparna Nancherla or TSR Carr, but like they're all comedians. I, I I yeah. This is this I, this is not. I don't think this is the case where you want to take a chance on a comedic comedic actress. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. If you had to, though, maybe Hannah Simone from New Girl, because she again looks sort of more like Snap Phillips than some of these other actresses, mm-hmm. and she hasn't been in a ton of stuff besides New Girl, but I felt like she had some dramatic chops that. You know, she got to use a little of in that show, but Jake Johnson shouldn't be the only one who gets to walk away from that show with a bigger career.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and but and luckily, because sometimes I have a problem with sometimes you just cast people who are just way too good looking, and they don't like. Why can't we have a person that actually looks like the person? But it does work because Sneha Philip was a she was a beautiful woman, and a lot of these women could pass for her. And the fact of it being a beautiful woman would would work into this, especially if she was going out to to lesbian bars and befriending, you know.
0: Well, that's the thing, whether there was anything like, whether there's infidelity going on there or not, she was somebody who was going out all the time and seemed to be the life of the party.
1: Oh, for sure. And it's kind of backtracking to, you know, the whole mystery. There was never anybody who came out and said that they saw her at a bar like on that S- Monday September night, 10th. Yeah. on September 10th, which kind of seems like she would have been noticed at a bar.
0: Right. And if she wasn't at a bar and she wasn't home, then where was she?
1: Exactly. Like, I could go into a bar and people would be like, oh, I didn't recognize him. Whatever. I don't think she could have.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is kind of ridiculous, like sort of the law and order thing where like, oh yeah, that guy came in here seven months ago and here's his uh, you know, shoe size and social security yeah. number. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but if, it were, if it were that night and she was a missing person and oh, you know, I, think, sure, yeah. I think everybody in New York remembers what they were doing the night before yeah. as <laughs> much as you remember on the day. The world had
1: changed the next morning. So it's kind of like, wow, what was I doing that night before, you know, this thing that I didn't think possible happened?
0: Yeah, exactly. So did you have anybody else, like any other actors you wanted to see in this? Because there aren't a lot of specific roles you have to have. I think you want to have the PI and you probably want to have at least one cop. Oh, yeah.
1: You'd have the family of, uh, we didn't talk much about Snao's family, but she had, she did have both parents and a brother. And a sister-in-law. I don't know. We didn't get into that, but oh, right, I guess right. the NYPD came out and said that Sneha was not on speaking terms with her brother because he had caught her in bed with his wife, her sister-in-law. But that was like vehemently denied by the entire family, including the brother. That would have to be an aspect of this movie that you would have to bring into just that the police brought this up.
0: You're tempted to think, again, this is, you know, you don't know who to believe, but if the family denied it, where would the, where would the NYPD have even gotten that from?
1: You know, who, uh, yeah. who
0: was their source? It just seems like they're just making things up.
1: Uh, yeah, but in, like, a story like that, to make something like that up, it almost seems like the source. It's almost like, uh, if I can get political, it's like, it's like Rudy Giuliani, like just throwing stuff out there, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, there was uh, some guy, I can't say who it is. But yeah, he saw 100,000 votes being thrown away, but I can't. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: You know, and you know what? That's, that's, just, probably, that's probably how Rudy Giuliani ran New York then, too. Yeah, very,
1: yeah, very true. Yeah, that's where they got that. It's like, oh, yeah, just just say she was sleeping with her sister-in-law. That's not going to hurt anybody.
0: I read this article recently about Giuliani talking about how in some ways he kind of set the stage for Trump. With the mayoral campaign that he ran because if you remember trump ran for president in 2016 claiming that our cities were on fire we have crime numbers like we've never seen and it was (laughs) literally the safest period in american history oh yeah oh yeah and new york (laughs) new york in the 70s and 80s was one of the it was a very dangerous place to live and then the previous (laughs) mayor david dinkins and his police commissioner really cleaned up the town and crime was dropping like rapidly from year to year and oh, Giuliani, yeah. a prosecutor, ran on, the city's on fire, everything was going to hell, when it was getting much, much better. And then yeah. he inherited a drop in crime from Dinkins and took credit mm-hmm. for it. And then he fired the police commissioner so he could take credit. And yeah, so now there's no shady the tactic I wouldn't put past Rudy. Oh, yeah. Or you or, or the people that he put in place in the NYPD in that era. Oh, for sure, yeah. And that's why I, I was going to mention
1: that in my description of the story but it just seemed so it seemed so far-fetched and i was hoping it would come up and it's just it's not something to really focus on as opposed to the nypd just throwing this out there whether it's true or not there's just there's so much else that
0: it is so extraneous to the story and so kind of it's such a strange detail that like why would the nypd make this up and even if they didn't how is it relevant exactly yeah so because the NYPD took two cracks at this, you almost sort of want a good cop and a bad cop. I feel like early on, there are probably cops who maybe don't need to be significant characters who are just blowing this off and the husband's frustrated with. Mm-hmm. And then maybe somebody, maybe they, you know, they reopen the case later. Maybe you've got somebody who, maybe not obsessive with this in like a Zodiac investigative kind of way, but like, Christ, there's still one more 9-11 related case I got to put to bed. Let me just get through this. And it could
1: be easier just to like dismiss it. Like, yeah, that's like, yeah.
0: And, and again, these are all roles that you can kind of throw anybody into, which makes the mm-hmm. casting easy and kind of and hard because I don't know how you settle on somebody. So I landed on two people. For the private investigator, Ken Gallant, who Lieberman hires to help when the, when the NYPD won't investigate this to a satisfaction, I had Jeremy Sisto from Six Feet Under, mostly because yeah. he, was, he was in the last season of Law and Order. He and Anthony oh, yeah. Anderson were the, were the briscoe and green of that season. And he was really coming into his own, and they were getting good. And they see, they felt more like New York cops than anybody the show had had since, since Jerry Orbach left. And I was really enjoying it, and then they canceled the show. So I oh. always kind of wanted to see him back <laughs> in that role. And then and, I looked him up, and he's currently in a CBS procedural called FBI. So I feel like he has the range to play an ex-FBI agent.
1: Oh, right on. But I do uh, I do like how you uh, you introduced him as from Six Feet Under, because that's how I'll always remember him.
0: Oh, of course, I know yeah. I mean, that's, that's what finance. made his name. And,
1: yeah. Pretty much anybody you watch Six Feet Under will always associate every actor in that, you know, with that show. Even uh Michael Seall. Yeah. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's David Fisher. He's not Dexter to me. And I loved Dexter.
0: Oh, Dexter is just David Fisher murdering people.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, things took a turn. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the spin-off.
0: Yeah, there's some okay. actors who do just it's hard, it's so hard to see them you know, not in that role. It's a good
1: one. I'm just trying to think of uh I mean, this one not work because he's British, but one of the best detectives ever, I think, in television history was uh, David Tennant in Broadchurch. I'm not sure if you saw him. Well, sure, yeah. I thought he was just fantastic.
0: And he's, he's done American accents and things. Oh, he has? Okay. I, I think it's, so. Uh, so he
1: looks like he could play like kind of grizzled New York, you know, like the guy who, you know, the guy who, he's very skinny, like the guy who doesn't eat because he's so wrapped up in a case.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When I saw him in something, I was like, "It's like, oh, he is like the quintessential detective. You know, his own personal problems, but his dedication to his work.
0: Yeah, you want that kind of character. Well, especially because with that kind of really focused investigator, it's such an unfocused story. <laughs> okay. you know, it's, it's kind of the kind of thing that drives that kind of person to madness, where there are no answers to anything. Oh, for sure, yeah.
1: And that's exactly what this case is it is just kind of madness where there's just all of these underlying circumstances and you know, there's so many mysteries out there and that's one that I just think it's, it's one that I think about often.
0: Well, on that note, the only other role like major role that I had was I was saying you sort of need a bad cop who isn't being helpful in the end, but I think you want a good cop who maybe in the beginning is kind of like, uh, you know, that we, I thought we settled this years ago, why, why are we reopening this case, and then gets into the details of it and actually gets engaged and, and starts investing alongside the other two. And again, you can cast anybody in this, but I pulled Samira Wiley from Orange is the New Black and Handmaid's Tale, just because she, just an actress I like who should be in more things. I could buy her as a cop who's initially skeptical and not that, not that engaged, and then you know, can play somebody who's very smart and inquisitive and who would, who would dig into this story.
1: Well, she was, she, so, she was
0: so good in Orange, and she hasn't really... Oh, she, was one of the, she was one of the
1: stronger... There were so many great actresses in that.
0: Um, yeah, and they, they wrote her off that show, I think, because so she could do Handmaid's Tale. She was good in the scenes that she was in, but they didn't use her very much. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen her in a ton. And that's part of the fun of the show is, you know, pulling actors that you really like and who should be, who should be getting more work and giving them imaginary work. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, well, that's our movie. Thanks again to Tom Murphy. If you have any thoughts on Sinead Philip or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at @YMovie. You can find my column, Wiki Wormhole, on the AV Club every Sunday. You can hear Real College Radio and other lesser podcasts on our parent website, subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Keep wearing a mask. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on Why, 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 why is this not a movie?